excited to get into some scriptures. I have wrestled with how I'm going to teach today. We finished up the series on a New Testament theology of the church. And if I were going to do a new member class, how would I get Christians ready to be a part of a church and to be faithful and engage God and his kingdom in church? And that series was, for me, amazing. And now that it's over, I'm like, Lord, what? Now what? You know, and I, um, uh, by the way, just a quick comment. My faith is such, you know, partly I'm old. You know, I've got my scars and my scratches on my helmet. I've I've done this for a long, long time. The Holy Spirit can speak to me and he can change a channel regardless of any preparation I've done. You know, come on, we all can... We can turn to Scripture and read it and grow and mature in Christ. But I've really wrestled. And so uh, what I want to share, uh, I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken clearly, okay? And uh, they're, they're, uh, knowing that, 1 Samuel 3, 9, Eli instructing a little boy who's taking his first steps to hear the voice of God, this little guy. And this little guy, we're going to call him Sam, all right? Little Sammy. And he begins to hear the voice of God. He's confused. He thinks it's Eli. And Eli says, no, it wasn't me. Go back to bed. It happens again. It happens again. And then finally, Eli wakes up and goes, oh, Yahweh, God is talking to this little boy, Sam. And then Eli says this. The next time you hear that voice, you say this. Speak, or your servant is listening. Ah, that's what we want. We want that heart to say, God, speak to me. I need you. Please speak. Your servant is listening. So I want to pray over us. Abba, Father, you're kind. Thank you for what you've taught me already and how you've encouraged me in my journey. Give us Samuel's heart so that we could say with all sincerity, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. You made it so clear that you're the shepherd and we're the sheep and your sheep hear your voice. We need to hear from you. Please, Father. And I'm asking this in Jesus' name. Amen. Quick comment before I dig in. Uh, There's a lot of voices out there. America is in a state of moral chaos. Is that fair enough? I mean, it's crazy what's going on there. Uh, what's going on with Target, my comments will be very discreet. What's going on with Target is fascinating. I, um, I, I did breaking news on Target, blah, 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 right? Uh, and the Washington Examiner, the New York Post, all this kind of, they, they said Target suffers $9 billion in billion, not million, $9 billion in stock losses in one week. Which is absolutely a yay, absolutely. I'm like, yeah, bring it. Let's continue this trend, you know. And I, I saw some pundit say, hey, the men, the men found their spine, a little bit of it anyway, and they said, hey, no one but like. And now it's the women, godly women, who are saying, whoa, whoa on target, whoa. I'm telling you, we're living in moral chaos. And uh, by the way, do you know in Iran, do you know who's, who's fueling revival in Iran? Do you know who it is? In Iran, Lisa, it's women. Lisa said, yeah, it's women. Yeah. 
because, because the Iranian government is targeting men. Um, so, man, praise God for people that say, you know, it's like when I, when I shared last Sunday from, from Psalm 139, David said, Lord, your enemies are my enemies. And that's in the middle of Psalm 139. It's curious. And then James chapter 4, anybody who's a friend of the world is the enemy of God. <coughs> Moral chaos. It's crazy. It's everywhere. And so, you know, Washington Examiner, 9 billion losses, you know, from the clothing line, and, and it repeats that line. And then CNN said this. Target suffers losses from, uh, uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Here it is, my memory. Target held hostage. I'm not exaggerating. Target held hostage by anti-clothing line people. How's that for spin doctrine? <laughs> held hostage? That's crazy. They made, they made a choice, exactly. And so, so we make choices, right? So there's a story about a man with low self-esteem. He struggles with his, his view of self. Everybody turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. Samuel, little Sam, grew up to be one of the most famous and godly prophets ever to rule Israel. An amazing guy. And Israel began to, again, her faith began to wane. It's a cycle of devotion and, and rebellion against God. That same cycle that goes on and on and on with Israel. And it's still going on today. And, and they go to Samuel and they say, we want a king. And Samuel says, you want a king? That's going to make you like all the other nations around you. It's a recipe for trouble. You don't want a king. You want God. You want a theocracy is what you want. And no, we want a king. And, and then it's almost like Samuel has some hurt feelings. And it's like, was I not enough? Did I not do my best? You know, you're great. We want a king. And so, so Samuel and God talk about it. And boy, does, does God speak the truth to Samuel and he passes it on. It's going to be trouble from beginning to end. And Israel accepts God's ruling to be allowed to have a king. And Samuel finds the anointed one. And he's a man named Saul, or Shaul in Hebrew. 15 verse 1. Then Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, first word, listen. Listen to the words of the Lord. And then Samuel describes an enemy. They're known as the offspring of Amalek. These are wicked people. And God said, we have got to cleanse the land of evil. We have to. And so there's, there's a, an order given that Saul and the armies of Israel are to move in on the Amalekites and end their race. That's how serious this is. Okay. Now remember, Psalm 139 there's a point in which we've got to choose sides. 
You can't have it both ways. There are situations where neutrality will never work. You've got to choose size. And this is one of those things. And so there's an explicit order given. And what does Saul do? You know the story. He doesn't obey. So let's pick up the story. And verse 7, 15, 7. Then Saul, the man with low self-esteem, defeated the Amalekites from Havilah going toward Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and completely destroyed all the other people. The other sort, that's a lie. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the, they spared the best of the sheep, the oxen, and the more valuable animals and the lambs and everything that was good. And they were unwilling to destroy them completely. But everything despicable and weak, they completely destroyed. Right out of the gate, we've got a problem. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, this is God talking. (laughs) I regret that I made Saul king because he's turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. He turned back. And Samuel was furious and cried out to the Lord all night. This broke Samuel's heart. Samuel got up early in the morning to meet Saul. And it was reported to Samuel saying, Saul came to Carmel and behold, set up a monument for himself. A monument for himself? Then turned and proceeded down toward Gilgal. So Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Saul's talking to Sam. And he goes, blessed are you of the Lord. Have I carried out the command of the Lord? They haven't even said hello yet. And he's already giving himself away. What is the famous line in Macbeth? Methinks she protests too much. He's confessing way too much. Did I not do what the word, what, what the word of the Lord said? And Saul said, they brought them from the Amalekites. Yeah, what's, what's, or rather, Sam says, really? Then what then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the billing of the oxen which I hear? And then Saul begins to make excuses. Saul says, they brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but the rest we've completely destroyed. And Samuel said to Saul, in Hebrew, it's very, very strong. He said, stop. Stop. I don't want to hear how you're going to theologically twist and manipulate this thing to make yourself feel good about the situation. Just stop. And let me inform you of what the Lord said last night. Saul knew it's going sideways, and he said, speak. So Samuel said, is it not true, though you were insignificant in your own eyes? Ah, the man with a damaged view of self. That you became the head of the tribes of Israel, for the Lord anointed you as king over Israel. There's a series of excuses. I'm going to skip that part. Verse 20, then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord. 
for I went on the mission and da-da-da-da-da. Samuel said this. Verse 22. Does the Lord have much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to pay attention is better than the fat of rams. Because of Saul's damaged view of self and his ego, he built a monument to himself. Like, whoa, good job. I'm going to celebrate me. Woohoo. I'm the new king. Look at this. It wasn't about the sheep, it wasn't about the oxen, it wasn't about some giant fest where they're going to slaughter these animals as though that's going to impress God. The first thing that Samuel told him in verse 1 of chapter 15 is listen to the words of the Lord. Verse 23, for rebellion is as reprehensible as the sin of witchcraft or divination and insubordination, refusing to remain under authority is as reprehensible as false religion and idolatry. Since you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. There's an exchange between the two. Saul is begging for a break of some sort. Samuel will not give in. And as Samuel turns to leave, verse 27, Saul chases him, lunges, and grabs his robe and tears the edge of his robe, and it tore off. And there's Saul holding a piece of Samuel's robe. And Samuel turns and said, This is what God has just done to you. He has torn Israel out of your hands. You're no longer allowed to be king. And as you remember, it goes into a spiral at this point, and then God raises up David, who, even in the midst of some of the most horrific sins recorded in Scripture, is considered a man after God's heart. David did listen. Everybody turn to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. This is really the heart of the teaching this morning. Jesus is trying to communicate with some very, very difficult people. Jews in the crowd were... Pharisees, lawyers, the whole bit. And they're doing their best to prove that Jesus is not who he says he is. They're the troublemakers. And he's trying to teach. You've got to appreciate this. He's teaching about sheep and doors and shepherding to troublemakers. This isn't a wonderful, devoted, godly youth group. That's not who he's talking to right now. Okay, These are some really difficult people. Verse 6, chapter 10, John 10. Jesus told them this figure of speech because they did not understand what the things which he was saying to them meant. So Jesus said to them again, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves, kleptes. Here it's in plural, kleptai, kleptes, kleptomaniacs. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers. Who came before Jesus? Quick question. Who came before Jesus? What's that? John. John. And before John, thank you. That was good. 
prophets, all the prophets, right? The Pharisees, all the leaders, all these people who are leaders of Israel came before Jesus. He said, they, these Sadducees, Pharisees, all these people, they're like thieves and robbers. And the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. She will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Who's the thief of John 10.10 that comes to steal, kill, destroy? Satan? Somebody else? What's that? I, yeah, Maddie, I think you're right. I think it's the Pharisees. Absolutely. I think it's the Sadducees and the Pharisees who are highly trained, incredibly gifted men intellectually, memorizing the first five books of the Old Testament. Brilliant guys, extremely religious, but lethal and dangerous for the kingdom of God. They're horrible. They're the thieves and robbers. Now, is Jenny's correct? Is Satan standing behind the Pharisees? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unquestioned. Unquestioned. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He was hired hand, a, a day laborer, and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters the flock. He flees because he's a hired hand and does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay my life down for the sheep. You remember in Psalm 139 from last Sunday, in verse 1, uh, David says, Lord, he says, Jehovah Elohim, Lord, you have searched me, and you have known me. Those two terms are very, very significant. Hakar, searched, searched out with scrutiny. We're not overlooking anything. And you know me, yada. You've searched me and you know me. And it's as though David says, this is overwhelming. And I feel like you're pressing me in. I can't get away from you. If I go to the highest heaven, you're there, the lowest hell. No matter spatially where I can go, even in my mind, you're there. And you can even read my mind. You know my words before my tongue even says those words. It's like David is using language to explain this extraordinary thing God's doing in his life. And even that that it is hard to be searched out by God and to be known by God. But when you get to the last verse of Psalm 139, David says, I want more of it. Because you have searched me and because you do know me and there's nothing hidden from your eyes and you still love me. My life has changed. I want more of you. Search me. Go deeper with me, God. Find another layer. Peel it off. All the excuses, all the deception, all the lies that I was told, that I believed in. Peel it off. God, search. Know me. Search it. Peel it. Find me. Find me in my heart and know me. Now hold on to that thought. Look at this. This is verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know 
me. Jesus knows you. He says, do you know him? Like, really? (laughs) Do you know him? Or is he a label or an idea? Do you really know him? Now, let me show you how well he knows you in verse 15. Just as the father knows me and I know the father, I know you in the same way. Let's give it a go. Ready? I'm going to try to blow the circuits. How well does God and Jesus know each other? Jovi, how well do they know each other? Perfectly. Is there a secret between the two of them? When he's coming back. Maybe the one thing. Thank you. Thank you. I said it on earth. I think he knows you. It's like, Gabe, please blow the trumpet, please. Somebody, come on, Gabe. Um, they know each other in the deepest sense of intimacy. Jovi, Jovi. It's, it's a level of oneness that would, it, it, it just, it's beyond our comprehension. That's how he knows you. Okay. Look at verse 25. By the way, these people are arguing and they're trying to find a reason to arrest them. He's saying these things to people who want to arrest them. <laughs> Can you get it? These things are being said to people that want to arrest him, not to some wonderful church. I told you, and you do not believe the works that I do in my Father's name. They testify of me. But you do not believe because you're not of my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. Do you remember 1 Sam 15.1? command that was given by Samuel to to Saul. Listen. Listen to the command. Listen to the voice of God. My sheep listen. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus said to them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, We are not stoning you for good work, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. Because he is. <laughs> and that's the point. But weren't they expecting man? They were just expecting a They were expecting, actually, they were expecting a uh, religious political leader. They wanted a, a miracle of a small, fledgling little nation uh, that's been beaten up, diseased by famine and recent uh, oppression to all of a sudden have the anointing of God so on them that this new political figure would be able to defeat Rome. It would have been a mess. They were looking for a Messiah as a political military deliverer. And God had something far better, far better than anything 
that guy could bring. Can we appreciate something right now, Chris Church, that, that God wants you to listen. He wants you to understand what his will is, and he wants you to walk it out with grace. Now, if you're like me, you're going to go bumbling and stumbling along, but stay the course. We're, this isn't about perfection, so let's not go there, okay? This is about a heart issue. Turn to chapter 5, verse 42. Everybody turn to John chapter 5, verse 42. The people that were trying to stone Jesus. Look at this. This is amazing. John chapter 5. I'm going to read it 39. You people, you examine the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it's those very scriptures that testify about me. I'm the, the point, not the law of Moses. And yet you're unwilling to come to me that I may give you life. I do not receive glory from people. And look at verse 42. Now we're getting at it. But I know you. I know you. Yada. I know you. You do not have the love of God in yourselves. Boy, there it is. The heart. You do not have the love of God in your heart. So let's tie this thing together. When you have a deeply damaged view of self, you will have a damaged view of God. And you will manipulate and twist and you'll talk yourself into some of the dumbest stuff that you can do. Okay? You'll make excuses on every hand to justify and make your damaged view of self feel good. All right? You'll mask it. You'll drug it. You'll do something to avoid it and deal with what's really going on in life. But if you would give him your heart and you would let the love of God become real inside of you, he can heal all that mess so that you don't become a Saul and live out your dysfunction. <laughs> we don't have to live out the dysfunction of our past. We don't have to be a Saul. Chris, yes? Was Saul just wanting recognition? I mean, was, he also wanted, it seemed like he wanted to be forgiven. Yeah, that's good, Lisa. Yeah, yeah, thank you for your question. We're all there. So Lisa, the answer is simply this. The answer is found in comparing Saul with, with Esau in Hebrews chapter 12. In verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says, see to it that nobody misses the grace of God and that a root of bitterness spring up among you and defile many people. Bitterness is like cancer, okay? It, it'll eat up a home, it'll eat up a marriage, it'll destroy family, kids, church, the whole bit, it'll ruin a church, quick. When you, when you continue down verse 16, it says, like Esau who, although he wanted his birthright, sold it for a bowl, a bowl of red bean soup. And then afterwards, it says, he felt bad about it and wept. He was trying to repent, even though he begged for it with tears, but he never made room for repentance. There's the key. And that's Saul. He may cry about it. He may realize, oh, you know, some people are upset because they're caught. They're not upset because they sinned. There's a big difference. Makes sense? But Saul acknowledged his sin. His heart never changed. It's still broken inside. Hold, yeah, Alan, go ahead. Yes. Did he only acknowledge it because he was called out on it? Or did he 
I think he was called out and he knew this is bad. He knew this is bad. Now, one of the ways we know that Paul wasn't, that Saul wasn't sincere is when David hit the scene. What did it bring out in Saul? What's the main word, Jimmy? Jealousy. And jealousy leads to hate and hate. It's, well, he would forgive David, but, he, but his heart never changed. Never changed. What's the matter? Come on, son. You're my son. Come on. And then tries to pin him to the wall with a jab. Yeah. Yep. Jenny's? But some choices come with consequences. And regardless of whether or not you repent, there are still consequences that are paid yeah. based on the choice. Sometimes those cannot be diverted. Yes. Sometimes yeah. they can be, but sometimes they cannot. Yeah, that's true. That's really, really good. Yeah, yeah. That's good, Janice. Thank you. Thank you. So the core issue here is love. And that the love of God would find a place inside of us. Last text, right? First John 4. You already know where this is going. You're smart. Verse 16 of John, 1 John, John 4. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who remains in love remains in God, and God remains in him. By this, love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence on the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. Therefore, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. By the way, uh, when Jesus would cast out a demon, that same Greek word is used here. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear like a demon. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. All right, you ready? When you let the love of God come bring life to you and fill your heart with his love and you learn to listen and you turn your heart to obey, oh, man, that's the abundant life that he wants you to have. That's the abundant life. Christ Church, you are the body of Christ. You've been gifted by the Holy Spirit if you've been born again. And we will not allow the counsel of hypocrisy this morning or any time. But if you've walked with Jesus, you've been the sheep that has listened. You've heard his voice in in brokenness and humility and the bumbling and stumbling forward. You've walked with Jesus this week. Give us counsel. How do we live it out? The great warning of to not be like Saul. To have the heart of Samuel. To have the heart of Jesus, the shepherd, to be the kind of sheep that would listen to the voice of the shepherd so that we could hear Hear the words of Jesus. You're the church. How do we live it out? Okay? Yep, hard core decision, huh? Yep. Got two sides. It's um, not hard. Lisa? Will you contrast Hebrews that says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God what you just read in Yeah, so anybody that is outside of Jesus, it is a horrifying thing to fall into the hands of of God. But those who are in Christ, oh, listen, God gives the best hugs. Yeah, absolutely. Someone else? Make time. What's that? Make time. Make time. Why? Why is that so important, Linda? That's the way to hear God's voice. 
Gotta make time, you know. Can I say the obvious? Can you, can you tolerate it just a little bit? <laughs> you know, it would change our lives. If we just took a portion, <laughs> you get it already. If we just took a portion of the devotion that we have to this device right here and the apps therein, just a small percentage of it, and turn that to this device right here. <laughs> and just a little bit of effort. Come on, it's not hard. God doesn't want you to become a monk and chant all day and just mumble around and do this. He knows you've got to get up and go to work. He knows that. He knows you're married and there's kids and there's jobs and there's grass to be cut and, and oil to change. He knows that. But come on. Listen, you gotta have time, you gotta read scripture. Yes? Someone else? Kathy. I just kinda had a random thought when you're talking about the Pharisees and Jesus pointing out they didn't have the love of God in their heart. Yeah. They were expecting this great warrior. I think, you know, the the um, Jewish people were expecting that, but I don't think the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have ever let go of control of what they have. If even if a great warrior king, let's say a, you know, David again. They would have yeah, they'd have they, they they're so driven by their power yeah. and, and serving their serving Satan. Yeah. They it, it never would have worked out anyway. Yeah. yeah. Why why is why is control such a premium thing to, to a human? Why is control so important to us? Why? What's that? What's that? Sure, it's an illusion, but man, I know some big-time control freaks. <laughs> you know why, David? It's to the comfort. point. Comfort because you're getting close because of fear. Who said fear? Yes, we're afraid, and the only way to mitigate the fear and the chaos is control. It's the only way. And you know, it's hard to be married to a control freak. Just a little observation there, right? Come on, or have a friendship with the control. It's hard. It's exhausting. It's just exhausting. Yeah. All right. Are there other reasons, though, like, that, well, I kind of think about government with this and how authoritarian is turning into, and I think you fear losing that control, but wanting to have that power is there another reason other than fear to want to have that independence? Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's some. There's some ancillary things, you know, fear of shame, but now we're back at fear, ego, history, pride, you know, all those kind of things. Really about us wanting to be God. Yeah, the root of the root. There it is. Yeah, and absolutely, absolutely. I want to read one scripture to you. I'm going to pray over you uh, that you would have ears to hear. Jesus said a lot about that, didn't he? He who has ears to hear, let him hear this. He told a story. He tried to summarize the entire teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you know, he who hears my words and does not act on them is like a man who built his house on the sand. The one who hears and acts on them, he built his house on the rock.
Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. By the word of Christ. I want to pray, and then we're going to get quiet just for a little bit, okay? Um, Abba Father, your word has revealed your heart. It's revealed your truth and the authority of your word, the living word of God. God, right now, all of us, it's a heart cry to hear your voice. And I ask that in the asking of that, we, we got to be ready because if you talk, we got to do something. We can't just hear it and ignore it. If we do that, we're like Saul. We've got to be like Samuel. We've got to hear it. And you've got to say, Lord, speak. Your servant is listening. And that means risk. It means change. Oh, God, search us and know us right now. Christchurch, by faith, would you ask the Lord to speak clearly to you, please? Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the voice of God. And you can yell and scream in our ears and you can be like a still small voice. We want to listen and hear you. Thank you, Abba Father, for your love and your grace. Help us to not be like Saul now, but to be like Samuel and to live out what you command. In Jesus' name, amen.